on um, David. Uh, we called it a man after God's own heart. And so a couple weeks ago, we saw how David took on Goliath when nobody else was. He decided to be someone that God would uh, use. And we saw that David uh, had a progression to his victory. And we saw David was obedient. He was courageous. Uh, David had faith. Then he took action, and he was able to have a huge victory. And, you know, through David's victory, we see a formula that we can have victory in our lives over sin and over our, our battles that we have to face. Then last week, we saw that after David's victory, he went to live in the palace with Saul. Um, he was kind of starting to think that this is how my, my life should be, that, you know, I was anointed king of Israel, so I should be living, living in the palace. And we learned something uh, through David's life that we all need to remember, and that is whenever we get a victory in our life and whenever we start to battle our sin and whenever we start to um, actually fight the battles that God wants us to fight, Satan starts to pay attention and you're going to have another battle you have to fight. And we saw that suddenly David went from the palace to living in caves for, for years and years. And Saul tried to kill him. But the one thing that we did see in David's life is he never lost faith in the Lord. He always continued to fight his battles. He always continued to worship the Lord. And we also saw how David had a good friend in Jonathan. Uh, we saw that in the hard times that David had a friend that would come and encourage him and would come and help him out. And he would just lift him up. And that's something that we all need in our lives. And so tonight we're going to see that David all of a sudden start, stops fighting his battles. Um, so let me ask you this. This is your question of the night. You don't have to tell me. You can just shake your head. I don't need specific answers on this one. Uh, have any of you ever done something you knew you shouldn't have done, but you did it anyways? Yeah, hey, Bill, yeah. Bill's like, I've been, I've been alive a long time. Where do you want me to start the list? <laughs> and then, let me ask you this. Whenever, you know, someone asks you about that, have you ever covered it up and lied? Anybody ever do that? Bill's like, no, I didn't do that. I just told him. <laughs> and so I've done that a few times in my life. And so I'm going to give you an example. I'm not going to pick a really bad one just because I don't want you guys to know it. But one time when I was in high school, uh, my friend Chad was coming over. We talked a little bit about him last week. And my parents were going out of town. And for some reason, and I don't know why, my dad said, hey, don't drive your truck. Don't drive my truck. My dad's truck had 267,000 thousand miles on it. It was rusting out. It was a piece of junk. My friend Chad was driving a relatively new Jeep Wrangler. So why would I drive your truck, Dad? I said, you don't have to worry about that. If we go anywhere, we're, ta we're taking the cool car. Why would I take your truck? So later that night, uh, we needed to go into a place where most of you probably don't know, Blockbuster Video. We were going to get some movies and a video game. <laughs> and there's still, I saw an article, there's still one out on the West Coast. There's still one open and living. Um, anyways, that's not really the point. Um, we decided, let's, let's take the truck. I don't know why we did it. I mean, we were starting, let's, you know, I really don't know why. So we get in the truck, we drive in, we go to Blockbuster, we come out, try to start the car, it doesn't start. So we're like, oh crap, the battery's dead. So my friend calls AAA, he had AAA, and AAA comes, jumps the car, and we drive home. And then we decided we were hungry. I don't know why we didn't get food when we were in town. Thought, okay, we're going to go. Um, so we hop in the truck, and the truck stalls at the top of my driveway. There's like a really, like it goes downhill real quick, but it's kind of flat, and there's kind of an incline. So we thought, we'll just... We'll worry about this later. We'll get food. We go in. We get food. We come back. Thunder and lightning's happening. And we're like, oh, it's going to rain. Well, we better get the car up. The car won't start. So I'm like, crap. So me and my friend Chad start pushing this car up a slight incline. And we would kick. We'd put it in neutral. And he would push from the, the you know, where the steering wheel is. I was pushing on the hood. I got the dangerous job. And then we would kick these blocks of wood. 
underneath the tire so it wouldn't keep coming because it was an automatic and we put it in neutral. And so all of a sudden it starts pouring. I mean, it's pouring down rain, like the floodgates open. And I thought, well, this can't last long. Well, it lasted for over an hour and a half. We finally get the car back. And I'm like, this is great. Okay, we can, can finish eating. We can play some video games. And so the next day my parents come home and I wasn't home at the time. I come home and my dad said, hey, how's it going? We were talking. I said, oh, what did you guys do? He said, did you drive the truck? I said, no, no. He said, well, why were you pushing the truck in the driveway last night with the lights on? I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, oh, your brother drove by. So this is the point. First of all, why didn't you stop? Okay, that's beside the point. Um, this is the point where I should have said, well, yeah, you know, we took the truck. But I thought I'd be crafty. And I said, well, the top on Chad's Jeep sometimes, lo- or sometimes leaks when it rains. And so we were just going to pull it into the garage. And we pulled the car down too far. And it stalled. And so he's like, okay. He's like, okay. He's like, that's good. And we talked a little bit more. He goes, you know, it's funny. My friend called and said he thought he saw the truck and you in a Blockbuster video with the AAA thing. Oh, crap. So at this point, I said, well, well, that's funny, Dad, because let me tell you a story. And I told him all about it. And I got grounded. I mean, at this point, I'm busted. Like, I was busted. And so I tried to cover it up. It didn't work. I ended up getting grounded all because I wanted to drive a stupid, crappy truck. But I ended up lying to my dad, and I ended up covering up. And that's what we see David start to do in this story. You know, like I said, David's been fighting all his battles. Um, and we're going to, you know, we're going to see that he stopped fighting. Uh, we're going to talk about David and Bathsheba. And many of you know the story, but don't tune it out, because there's a lot of things that we can learn um, from, from David and Bathsheba. This is the, the really one of two stories in David's life where he kind of blows it. And in this story, he just falls deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And I want you guys to think about this. He, David is, is called the man after God's own heart in the Bible. David's a righteous man. But even if you're righteous, if you stop following the Lord, you can still fall really hard. And, and David's a lesson of that. And as you read this story, you kind of think, how did it happen? How in the world did David go from being faithful year after year through some of the hardest times in his life to all of a sudden just failing and, and failing miserably as we're going to see? And so, and that's what we're going to talk about. And tonight we're going to see that, that there was a battle going on that he should have been at, and he decided to stay home. Uh, he decided he wasn't going to join the fight. He was going to let other people fight for him. And that's why I titled this message, Fight Your Own Battle, or Fight Your Battles. You have to fight every battle that comes, even if you've gotten victory over and over again. In 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5, we're going to see that. And we're going to see that David becomes complacent. Complacent means showing, sm- or showing smug or uncritical satisfaction with, one's, uh, with oneself or one's achievements, often without awareness of some potential danger or defect. So listen, it, it's basically being smug. It, it's basically thinking, listen, I, I've done a lot of great things, and I, I'm confident in the fact, confident in myself. Let's just put it that way. And so at this point, David has been king for a while. Uh, Saul had died chapters ago, years and years ago, and David had had a lot of victories. And, and you can see that all through 1 Samuel and all through 2 Samuel. And all the victories that David had, you, you kind of start to realize that he kind of got complacent. He kind of started thinking that maybe his victories w- were, you know, he was the one getting himself through the victories. And that's something that we, we can do a lot, guys. You know, you can start fighting your battle and you should start dealing with sin and God will get you through some amazing things. And we kind of start thinking, oh, wow, like, I'm pretty awesome. And in reality, God did all those things despite of us. God did all those things because he's powerful and he loves us. And, it, and, you know, we had nothing to do with that. And so David is just comfortable. And so whenever you get comfortable in your walk with the Lord and you stop following the Lord, bad things start to happen. And, and you see this in uh, 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. 
verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when the kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Reba. And David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass, in an evening tide, that David arose from his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and <coughs> one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messages, messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. So basically, David's country's at war, and David decides, I'm not going to go, like I said before. And he's not worried about the battle that's going on. He's not worried about his friends that's fighting, and he's not worried about his country. He's not worried about any of the consequences that's going to happen. You know what? This is the first time that we see David just sitting down when there's a battle. And he just gets content in everything that he's accomplished. He gets content in being in the palace. He gets a content in being in the king. And so now, you know what? Second um, Samuel 11, 1 through, fi- 1 through 5 is where we see the results of David's complacency. David, the man after God's own heart, had an affair and then gets her pregnant. And so, oh, how the mighty have fallen. And the nice thing about all this is that God gives us warnings, and God makes it very clear how this happened. And so if you ever want to know, well, man, what, how does this happen? How does this guy get all in all this trouble? Well, God makes it clear. And so you have a choice to either listen and take heed, or you can ignore it. But the Bible clearly lays out how David got to this point. And we see that in 1 Samuel 11, 1 through 5, there, David's progression of sin. And that's on your study sheet, David's progression of sin. There is a progression that David does that gets him to this point. And the first thing we see is David was not where he should have been. David was supposed to be at war. He wasn't at war. David wasn't following the commandments of the Lord. You know, he was the leader of Israel. He was the guy who was supposed to be leading them, and he wasn't there. You know, he had simply been, you know, think about this. We just read. We know the results. A lot of you know about David and Bathsheba, but, but had he just went to war, this story would have never happened. Had he just started out being obedient, this never would have happened, but he decided to stay home. And let me also point out, we talked about Jonathan last week. At this point, Jonathan's dead. At this point, it's clear that David has not replaced, you know, in his life, he's not replaced Jonathan. He doesn't have a friend that's keeping him accountable. Had Jonathan been there, Jonathan was a mighty warrior. Jonathan would have been out there fighting the battle. And you know what Jonathan would have said? He would have said, suck it up, David. I don't care what you think. You're going to battle. And he would have taken, he would have taken David with him. But David doesn't have that anymore, and he has nobody to hold him accountable. And so David decides, you know what, I know, I know where I need to be, but I'm not going to be there because I just, I just want to do my own thing. And that's what happens to us. You know, God tells you to do something, and the question is, do you do it? God says, man, you, you need to go do this. You need to go tell your friend about Christ. You need to go do this. Do you do it, or do you do your own thing? And, you know, a lot of times God's calling you to do something. And a lot of times we, we come up with excuses and we don't do it and we come complacent in our own life. And sometimes I think we think like, what's the worst that could possibly happen if I don't do what God tells me to do? If I don't go where God tells me to go? What's the worst that happens if I don't face the sin and the battles in my life? And I'm sure David had some thoughts like that. I'm sure David started thinking like, oh, well, what's the big deal? I'm not going to be where I'm supposed to be. That's not that big of a deal. I'll just ask for forgiveness and move on. But the problem is, is we're going to see that that's a dangerous path to start going down. That's a very dangerous path to go down because this is just the start for David. 
him not being where he's supposed to be is just the start. Because the next thing we see is David was being lazy. David's complacency led to laziness. It says in verse 2, And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from his bed. So basically, David's friends and David's army and all the rest of the Israelite men were out fighting a battle, and David was taking a nap. And you might say, well, he's a king. He can take a nap. There was things he needed to be doing. There was a battle going on. You can't take a nap whenever there's a battle going on. That's the same in your real life. That's the same in, like, your spiritual life. But think about this. If you were about ready to get in a fight, like someone says, listen, we're going to fight, and I'm going to bring my friends, you bring your friends, and we're going to meet at 2 o'clock, so-and-so, whatever, and you go, and you start fighting, and you realize that, like, one of your friends isn't there, and you get in a fight, and Manny's smiling back there. Manny's probably the one napping. Sorry, dude. I kid, I kid. Anyway, sorry, I, I digress, I digress. Manny would never nap. I got to stop talking about this. I'm going to go down the wrong path. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, like, so you know, you get in a fight, and, and, and say you get your butt kicked, and you go back, and you're like, dude, where were you? Well, I know I was supposed to be there, but I just wanted to take a nap. Are you going to be happy with that friend? Like, you're going to be upset with that friend. That friend let you down, and that's what David's doing. He's just being lazy. He's not doing what God's told him to do. And he decides, listen, it's just time to take a nap. And the Bible has a lot to say about laziness. And one of the verses that just kind of sums up um, David's situation is Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. And this verse sums up David's situation. He was being lazy. He wanted victory for Israel, but that didn't actually happen, you know, or that wasn't going to happen. Um, because you will see, actually, if you read, we don't have time to go into it, but they actually kind of lost the battle. And the other thing, too, is he, he found himself being lazy, and he also found himself wanting something that wasn't his. And he wanted Bathsheba, and so he gets himself into a situation where he becomes complacent and he becomes lazy. And the next thing we see is David became distracted with his eyes. And we talked a lot about this with the sex and purity thing with Kale talking, so I'm not going to go into this, but the next, the next thing David does is he gets up from his nap, and he's like, oh, it's a nice night out. So he goes up to the top of the roof, he starts looking around, and he sees Bathsheba, and it says she was washing herself. So, I mean, let's be honest. She probably wasn't wearing any clothes. And at this point, he liked what he, say, he, liked what he saw. Um, so, you know, at this point, he had a choice. He could have said, nope, I'm done. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to keep looking. I'm not going to act on my lust. I'm going to go down. And the worst thing we would have said is that David was just not listening to the Lord. He wasn't where he was supposed to be, and he was lazy. That would have been the worst thing we could have said about David, but that's not what happens. David begins to act on it like we see. And so we have to be careful what we let our eyes see, guys. And we know this, but for some reason, even though we know it, we always seem to forget it. Or whenever we're faced with something that we have to look away from, or when we're faced with something that we shouldn't be doing, we forget about this kind of stuff. And in Lamentations 3.51, it says, Mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. And what we look at affects our heart. What we look at generally will lead to, to action. When you're driving down the road, and, you know, my kids always like to look for deer, and so they'll point out deer, and so I'll be driving down the road. We're going straight. The deer over here, I'm looking. What tends to happen? The car starts to go the way I look. You know, if someone's coming, they beep at me and give me the finger. Not that that would happen, but, yeah, you, you all of a sudden are looking at a car coming down the road because what happened? I started to look this way, and everything in my body followed that way, and that's just what happens. The same thing with your eyes. When you start looking at things, and you start lusting after things, and you don't deal with it, and you don't look away, it's going to start to consume you. And so that's what we see next. David let his flesh take action. And so, 
<laughs> you know, David is just following his little progression. And so David sees Bathsheba. He likes what he sees, and he sends for her. And Bathsheba says, okay, yeah, I'll come on up to you. And they, they hook up. And at this point, you know, he's having an affair. I mean, God's, God's king, the man after God's own heart, the, the righteous king, the, the guy that many people look up to, and, and the guy who wrote 73 of your psalms finds himself ha- having an affair, all because he wasn't where he was supposed to be, all because he became lazy, he started looking at, his, at things with his eyes, and he took action on it. And this is exactly what James 1, 14, to 14 and 15 describes. It says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived it, bring it forth sin. And when it is finished, bring it forth death. You know what, guys? When we are tempted, we all have a choice. And when you start to act on it, it bring it forth sin. When you act on your lust, it's going to bring forth sin. And James has a very strong warning, and it says it bringeth forth death. And in David's life, it bringeth forth death and a lot more consequences that we're going to talk about. Sin always has, has a consequence, guys. And listen, guys, when, you, when you're, like Christian, when you begin to stop fighting your battles, when you become lazy and start looking to the world, you're going to fall into sin. And you may say, no, that's not going to happen to me. Well, listen, if it happened to a righteous guy like David, it, it's going to happen to you. It can happen to me. It's happened to me before. I could tell you a lot more worse stories than me trying to push my dad's car up a hill because I thought I could do life better on my own, and it didn't end up working well. And so, you know, the thing is, is God always gives you a way out. Like, God will always give you a way out of your temptation. You have to choose to take it. And David never one time chose to take it, because we're going to see it gets a lot worse for David. He does a lot worse than just have an affair and get a girl pregnant. And I'm sure at this point, David never thought he would ever do the things that, that he did. I mean, did you guys ever think David would do these things? Like, if you were just reading through and you never heard the story of David, do you think David would ever have an affair and get a girl pregnant? After everything we've seen? Absolutely not. And that's the way sin is. You know, most people who become an alcoholic don't set out to be an alcoholic. Most people who are on drugs don't set out to be on drugs. It's a slow progression. And most people who end up being liars or whatever it is in their life, they don't just start out saying, man, I just hope people don't trust me today. It's a slow progression. And suddenly, sin will just take over, and it'll take you further than you'll ever want to go. And whenever you start to follow your flesh and, and sin, you know, start following the flesh and not the Lord, you're going to go down a path that you're not fully prepared to go for. And, and David didn't see all the consequences, and we're going to see, see soon what those look like. And so at this point, David has a choice. I mean, we always have choices, guys. And David has a choice. He could say, you know what? I messed up. He could confess to the Lord. He could go talk to Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, or he could do what he, he does. Uh, and we see next that David tried to cover up his sin. We don't have time to read it, but the rest of the chapter describes what David did. And so I'll summarize it real quick for you. David's pretty sneaky. He's a smart guy. And so he calls Joab and says, hey, send, send Uriah back. And he asks Uriah, he's like, hey, man, like, how's the battle going? He's like, I'm not there, so how's the battle going? And Uriah's like, oh, gives him an update. And then he's like, ah, okay, you can go back tomorrow. Why don't you go back to your house? Why don't you go back to Bathsheba and you can spend the night? And so he's like, I'll get, you know, Uriah to sleep with his wife and all my sins will be covered. We'll be great. Nothing will be bad. Nothing will be wrong. And David finds out the next morning that Uriah was actually a lot more uh, faithful at this point than he was. And Uriah slept on his doorstep. Uriah didn't go in unto his wife. And so David said, oh, well, okay, I got to come up with another plan. So he calls him in, 
says, hey, go back tomorrow, and then he gets him drunk, and he sends him home, and he still doesn't go into his wife, and he still doesn't cover up David's sin, and so once again, David has a choice, and this time David chooses to do something a lot more serious. David writes a letter to his general, Joab, and he says, hey, Joab, uh, I want you to take Uriah, and I want you to put, it, put him in the hottest part of the battle. I want you to put him in the front lines. And we all know what happens in the front line. We've seen enough Lord of the Rings movies or movies. Like, listen, the dudes in the front line always die. They always die. And David knows this. And even says, Joab, send him in the front line, let him die. And then David has the audacity to literally take that letter, give it to Uriah, and say, take this to Joab, and let Uriah send his own death letter to Joab. And that's where David was. And so what happens is, is they go into battle, and it's an interesting story. There's a lot more things we could talk about, but I don't have time to. We go into battle, and Uriah dies. And so, you know, Joab sends it back, and Joab's like, yeah, we lost some good men, and he had to push harder than he wanted to just to get Uriah to die, and he, you know, he did some things in war that you're not supposed to. You'd have to look into it. And, and so David's response was, whenever the messenger came and told him from Joab, it says, and David said to the messenger, just saith thou unto Joab. So David says, listen, tell Joab this. Let not this thing displease you, for the sword devoureth one as well as the others. And so David's basically saying, too bad, it's war, he died. And so at this point, I don't even think David really cared that he had killed, um, killed Uriah. At this point, he's falling so far that sin has completely taken over. And David knew exactly what he was. And we see that David's a murderer. And David's covering it up. And he's done a really good job at this point, by the way. Maybe a few servants know. But other than that, like, listen, the dude just sent Uriah off to, to, to die. You think his servants are going to say anything? Absolutely not. No one's going to say anything about what's going on if anybody knows about it. But the inter interesting thing is, is that Job 34, 21 and 22 says, for his eyes, and his, when talking about the Lord, it says, for his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. And David's about to learn a very valuable lesson. You can't hide from the Lord. I know that you think you can. We have this idea in our mind that we think we can. But you cannot hide from the Lord. He sees everything. You can fool your parents. You can fool your youth counselors. You can fool your teachers. You can go through a huge list of people that you think you can fool. But the one person you're not, you're not going to fool, you're, you're not going to fool the Lord, guys. And in Proverbs 28, 13, gives us a warning that when you try to, try to cover things up, it's not going to go well for you. It says... He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And listen, you're not going to have victory in your life if you, if you just keep trying to cover up your sin. If you have sin in your life and you keep trying to, to cover it up, you're not going to have victory. God's telling you this right here. It says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But the cool thing about God is he says, listen, if you're willing to confess and forsake your sins and you're willing to follow after him, you're going to find compassion. You're going to find grace. God will forgive you. And, and David had this choice, and he didn't take it. David still has a choice to turn to God, and he doesn't. And so it's almost, you know, we go into the next chapter, and Bathsheba's about ready to have the baby, and he still hasn't confessed his sin. He's still living life. And, and what we see um, in 1 Samuel 12 is that God comes and confronts David with his sin. So God said, listen, you're not going to confess it. Guess what? I'm going to send someone to talk to you about it. And that's what God does. It's interesting because whenever you're in sin, God's going to send, obviously, if you're reading his word, he's, he's going to convict you through his word. He's going to convict you through church. He'll send a friend. He'll send circumstances into your life. And he's going he's to try to get your 
you know, he's going to try to get your attention. And at this point, <laughs> David is going to get approached by Nathan. And what, what we're going to learn is that, you know what, God just absolutely hates sin. And we have to remember that, guys. Like, I think sometimes we think that we can get away with the little stuff. But listen, we didn't do what David did. We didn't have an affair. We didn't get a girl pregnant. And we certainly didn't kill anybody. So my sin of disobeying my parents or my sin of doing this little thing over here isn't that bad. But you know what? God hates sin. And he absolutely hates all sin. And a good example of this is Adam and Eve. As I was studying for this, this popped in my mind. Have you ever thought about this? The sin of the entire world was passed on from Adam and Eve because they did one thing. What did they do? They ate the apple. And eating the apple, what did they do? They disobeyed the Lord. I mean, is that really that serious, to pass on the entire sin of the world by just one disobedient act? I mean, they didn't murder anybody. They didn't have an affair with anybody. They didn't have any of the crazy social injustice that we're always talking about. I mean, there's so many more things that could have, like, they could have done that would have been horrible. But they were just simply disobedient to the Lord. And you know what that shows us, guys? All sin to God is horrible. God can't look on any sin. It doesn't matter. We can't categorize sin. Like my sin over here, I can't compare it to, you know, my other friend's sin. Because no matter how little it is, God hates it. And we have to remember that. And this is what we're going to learn through, through first, you know, um, this is what we're going to learn through David. God hates the sin that he did, and, and he's, he's going to confront him. He comes to David, and he sends Nathan. And in, in uh, 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 9, we see Nathan comes to, to David, and he starts to talk to him. And, and this is God's, God's way of getting his attention. Sometimes God gets kind of extreme. And you, people are going to say things to you when you're in sin. And listen, I'm standing up here, and there are a few of you that are in here that are probably thinking, well, that's me, but they, nobody knows about it. And you're thinking, why does this guy keep going on? And, and the Lord's convicting you. You have to know that it's not just me. It's the Lord. And the Lord will send people into your life to convict you of sin, and you have a choice. Just like David's going to have another choice. And it says in 1 Samuel 12, 1, And the Lord sent, David un, or the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, and one, and one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was upon him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his own flock and his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man, wayfaring man, and that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. So Nathan comes to him and tells him a story. He said, Listen, there's a rich dude. And he, you know, he has all these flocks, and he has all this money, and there's a poor guy. And he had, apparently he had a pet lamb. I don't, maybe you can have a pet lamb. I never tried it. But he has a pet lamb, and he loves this lamb. That's all he's got. It's the only thing him and his family has. And the rich guy says, listen, I got a visitor, and I'm going to take your lamb. I don't want to kill one of my lambs. I'm going to take your lamb. And so he kills it. And so the, the response to this is David gets ticked off. David gets mad and says, man, that guy's got to restore him fourfold. And you know what? That, that guy has to die. That's kind of extreme. But listen, when you're living in sin and the Lord starts to convict you, you can tend to lash out. Like whenever I'm pushing my brother's car up the road and I'm getting confronted by my dad, I'm not so much mad at my sin. I'm mad that my brother didn't stop and that guy didn't stop to help me out at Blockbuster Video. And so that's kind of irrational, but that's what happens. We start focusing on other people's sin. 
And then Nathan's response is, is great, but probably wasn't so great for David. It says in verse 7, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed the king of Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into the bosom, and gave, gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou desired the, the commandment of the Lord? or despise the commandment of the Lord, to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hath taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. And so at this point, things probably got a little awkward, um, because let me tell you something. Remember when I said David did a pretty go- good job of keeping it secret? Well, he didn't keep it secret from the Lord, and the Lord obviously told Nathan, and I don't know who was all around during this conversation, but Nathan's, Nathan's basically saying, listen, dude, you killed Uriah. And he's saying, God gave you everything. He literally gave you everything. And if you wanted more, all you had to do was ask. But yet you took this one guy, one guy's wife, for yourself. You were selfish, and you sinned. And, and so at this point, David, David has another choice. And we're going to see that he actually does make the, the right choice. But, you know, Nathan didn't stop at just telling him what, you know, what he did wrong. Nathan didn't just stop. Nathan goes on to tell David the consequences. And this is something you have to understand. And this is the consequences of David's sin. There's always a consequence to sin. High school, don't think you're going to get away with it. Don't think you're going to be the one person that gets away with sin. Because it's not going to happen. We've already seen God can see it. And when God sees it, he'll always deal with it. It may not be immediately, but he will deal with it. And we see that all throughout the Bible. But for some reason, we think that we're the one exclusion in, in, in this world that it's not going to happen to. And I don't know why we think that, but, but we do. And David's about to learn a very important lesson. The price of sin is always greater than the pleasure of sin. The price of sin is always greater than the pleasure of sin. And I can tell you from my own life, I don't have time, but it's true. Listen, guys, sin might, might seem fun for a while, but it always catches up to you. I'm sure David joy, enjoyed his brief time with Bathsheba, but I don't think he's going to enjoy the consequences of it. I don't think he enjoyed Nathan having this conversation in 1 Samuel 12, 10 through 14, you're going to see the consequences that he's going to face. It says in verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up the evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto the neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it, it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And so now, not only is David going to pay the price, but his family is going to pay the price too. And, you know, if, if you look through this list, it's a pretty heavy list. Um, you look through this list, David's consequences ended up being, he's going to lose his baby. Um, Him and Bathsheba are going to lose the baby. David's son, Amnon, is um, going to rape David's daughter, Tamar, and that's just weird. Like, I don't even want to get into that story, but that's in 2 Samuel 13. And because of the results of that, David didn't want to deal with his son's sin, sexual sin, because he was too busy worrying about his. And that horrible thing happened. So Absalom ends up murdering, Absalom, who is David's son, ends up murdering Amnon, so one of David's sons murdered. 
And then Absalom, he runs away, and David's brokenhearted, and he comes back, and then he ta- tries to take over the kingdom, so David has to run again, just like he was with Saul. And then Absalom was m- murdered by Joab, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, literally, David's, David's house was literally, now it says in verse 10, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. Violence followed David for the rest of his life, and he lost his kids. He lost, you know, he lost a lot of things just because he decided that he wanted to enjoy his pleasure for a while, just because he wanted to sin. And this is a story you have to remember, guys. When you're living in sin, it will affect you, and it will affect everybody around you. And if, you know, if you try to cover it up, you can try it, but sin's like a disease, and it, it can't be contained. Like, you can't contain sin. And what's in secret? It's interesting. David says, it says in here, what you did in secret, I'm going to make public. And God knows it. And a lot of times you can hide your sin, but you know what ends up happening? Everybody finds out. And then you ruin your testimony. You ruin everything that, that God has done in your life up until this point. David has been a righteous man, but what do you think his enemies are saying? It says in verse 14, it says, it says, how be it, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Listen, people are making fun of David. This was the mighty David who followed the Lord, and, and all this stuff happened. He's a murderer now. I mean, once you're a murderer, you're kind of always a murderer. And once you sin, that's what usually, that's the sin that usually sticks with you. And so, you know, don't ever be fooled into thinking that you can contain your sin. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth the flesh shall reap the flesh, or he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap. So listen, God makes it simple. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. God knows what you're doing. So if you're going to feed your flesh and you're going to feed sin, listen, you're going to feed into corruption. But if you're going to feed your spirit, then listen, you're going you're gonna to reap life everlasting, it says. And guys, you have the choice. Are you going to follow the Lord or are you going to follow your sin? Just remember, David had a long list of consequences that I'm sure if he knew the consequences beforehand, he would have never even thought about it. He would have just went to battle. He would have just went to battle. And in the midst of Nathan's talk, we do finally see David's response to sin. David finally confesses his sin in 1 Samuel 12, 13. And he said, and David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Listen, he doesn't say a lot, but he says enough. He gets straight to the point. He says, listen, I've sinned against the Lord. David understood, listen, I've sinned, but most importantly, I've sinned against God. And when we sin, listen, you let down a lot of people when you sin. You affect a lot of people, but most importantly, you affect the Lord. You sin against the Lord. And so, guys, don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let your pride get in the way if you're, if you're in sin right now. Stand up and fight it. Stand up and deal with it. And the good thing about all this is, is that in 1 John it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive you. God is willing to forgive you. But listen, God's not going to just forgive you and fight your battle and give you victory if you're not willing to run to him and confess your sins. If you're not willing to surrender your life 100% to him, why do you think God's going to fight your battles? Why do you think God's going to help you get over your sins? You, you have to be willing to, to meet God halfway. And in Psalms 51, we see that David uh, wrote a response. Um, he wrote the response of after he talked to Nathan um, and him's conversation. They had that conversation, and he wrote this Psalms. And so we kind of see his response to God for his sins. In Psalms 51, 1 through 4, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. 
against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightst be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. So we see that David, in this Psalms, he's crying out for mercy, and he's crying out for God's forgiveness. He stops hiding his sin, and he just finally owns up to it. It took him long enough, but he finally owns up to it. And he also, we see, we also understand that uh, he, he, he gets it. He gets the fact that his sin affects the Lord. And that mattered to him. And it should matter to us. When we affect the Lord and we upset the Lord, like, it should matter to us. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter to you, then there might be a problem. If it doesn't matter to you, you might want to, like John Chris says, check your heart. He goes on in verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So he goes on to ask the Lord to, to clean his heart out. He goes on to say, listen, God, just, just create in me a right heart. He wants to get right with the Lord. And then in verses 12 through 14, it says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy way and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guilt, yeah, guiltiness, O God, thy God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. And so David's asking for his joy back. You say, well, why is he asking for his joy back? Because there's no joy in sin. There's no rest in sin. You're never going to find joy in sin. You might enjoy it. The Bible says, you know, you can enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, but it's only for a short period of time. And David, David proved that to us tonight. And so then he goes on and he says, help me teach others from his mistakes. Like, listen, guys, David's plan on teaching others about his mistakes. Some of you guys have probably made some big mistakes in your life. That's okay. Confess them, move on, get your heart right with God, and then help other people do, like, not make those same mistakes. I mean, that's what a lot of your counselors have done. We've all made mistakes, some more than others. And so we just learn from our mistakes, move on, correct our relationship with the Lord, and try to help you guys not make the same mistakes. And then the, the last thing we see is that David goes on and starts talking about how, how he's going to sing of God's righteousness. David got his heart right, and he goes back to the guy he was when he was running from Saul in the cave. He goes back to worshiping the Lord. We see that David completely transformed his life, and he confessed his sins, and he got his relationship with the Lord. And so as we wrap this thing up, there's an old saying, and I'm sure you've heard it before. It says, sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It'll cost you more than you intended to pay. And that's so true, guys. Sin starts out as a fun little thing, and it starts out as something that, you know, it's not going to be that bad. But it's always going to cost you more than you ever thought. And it's always going to keep you longer than you ever planned on staying. So the best thing to do is not do what David did, not even start. And if you're here today and maybe you find yourself and, and you're, just, you're just being complacent, maybe you find yourself in, in that list of five things we talked about. Well, tonight's the night you need to get it right. Tonight's the night. Listen, just say, God, man, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. I confess my sin. Just help me out. Find a counselor. Talk to him and see what you have to do. Like, just repent to the Lord. It's as simple as that. And there's a few of you. There's some of you guys here. You might be deep in sin. I don't know it. Your counselors don't know it. Maybe even your parents don't know it, but God knows it. And the problem is you've been covering up for, for a long time now. And you've just kind of become comfortable. Tonight's the night you can be free from that. Because there's some of you guys who you go to bed and you're depressed. And you wake up and you're depressed. You live your day and you're miserable. And it's simply because you haven't dealt with your sin. You haven't done what 1 John 1, 9 says. You haven't confessed your sin. And if that's you tonight, just confess your sin. You don't have to, to live like that. You can live in the joy of the Lord. And, it, and if you are here and you're in deep sin and you know it and you just quite frankly don't care, then you have a problem. I'm just let me be the Nathan of the story. You have a problem. You have one or two things. If you have a relationship with the Lord and you don't care, 
then you push the Holy Spirit so far down in your life that you can't even tell whenever it's convicting you. Or the other possibility is you don't even have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you think you do, but if you're not convicted by your sin, there's a problem, guys, because God will always convict you of your sin. And so either way, if, if you're saved and you've just pushed the Holy Spirit down, or I- if maybe you're not saved, you need to deal with that. And if you don't, there are consequences, guys. There are always consequences for your actions. And you're going to hear me say that for the next however many years, so get used to it. Hopefully, it'll stick with some of you guys. And maybe you're here tonight, and you know what? You're doing good. Uh, you guys are the ones, you're, you're here, and, and you're just fighting, and you're fighting your battle. Remember this story whenever you decide that you want to start being complacent and lazy. <coughs> Remember that, you know, if David can fall, so can you. And so take this as an opportunity to just fortify your strength in the Lord. Fortify the fact that, you know, God died for you and God loves you and he wants, he has a plan for you. So just follow that plan and don't get complacent in your life and keep going the way you're going. Keep following the Lord because that is worth it. And there is joy in following the Lord. There is true peace in following the Lord. And you have to decide if you're willing to do that or if you're going to get complacent. And next week, we're going to talk about, you know, the one thing that's going to help you with all your battles, and it's the Word of God. And the really cool thing about David is, even though he messed up, he's probably the most unique guy in your Bible when it comes to to talking about the Word of God. He has an absolute love for the Word of God, and that's what we need. We need to have that, and we're going to see that next week. And so I'm going to wrap up and pray, and then we'll sing. Our dear God, uh, we just love you so much, and just thank you for your Word, Lord. And I just pray that if there's anybody here tonight, Lord, um, if anybody's here and they're just wrapped up in sin, I just pray that they, they cry out to you like David did. I pray that they don't have to, you know, face the consequences that David did and that they just simply say to you, Lord, you know, I messed up. I'm a sinner. Um, just forgive me. And they work on making it right. Uh, they find a counselor. Or they find a, a friend who can keep them accountable and they just fix the things in their life that need to be fixed. And Lord, I just pray that um, each of these kids will go out um, and apply what they heard tonight and just let it change their life, Lord. Because, you know, I, I bumble through the words, but it's your word, God. Uh, it, it's your word and it's your, it's your book and, it, and your book has the power to change lives, Lord. So just change the lives of the kids tonight. Amen.